you're not there, go ahead and turn with me to Romans 12. Here in Romans 12, we're going to be looking at a smaller excerpt from the passage, but let's read Romans 12, starting at verse 1, all the way through verse 13. Therefore I urge you, Paul writes to the church in Rome, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Tell you what, some of you I'm sure are surprised to see my wonderful mug up here. The plan was for Rick to be teaching. Um, but I tell you what, our brother and his family have gone through the ringer and I believe wholeheartedly there have been one, it's been one spiritual attack and battle after the next. And so he called on Les and I to stand in really and truly hold his arms up the way we see Moses fighting the battle. He didn't do it alone. I, I want to share this with you. The Lord has been faithful to make sure that whatever we teach, whatever is preached here, those who teach and preach, God makes sure they have to walk it out in their own lives. <laughs> this last week is very true in my life. Um, actually, Got to go over and break some bread with a dear brother and sister and their family. Nathan, Andy, thanks a lot. That was sweet. And they got to see the craziness unfold. We, Cam and I and the kids showed up and then boom, one thing after another happened. I just want you guys to know that, especially for Rick, we don't just get up and, and teach um, the Lord makes sure that we walk this out along with you guys. We have to experience this as we teach it. Um, and there is a vast difference between theology and rhetoric, studying through the scriptures, and then actually practicing it. It's draining. 
And living this way demands everything in my being and all that I have, and that includes my family. But you've heard the saying about war and battles, to the victor go the spoils. Battles are bloody things, and wars have a wearying effect on those who wage them. But, 2 Corinthians 10.3, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. 2 Corinthians 4.1, therefore, since we have this ministry as we received mercy, we're gonna look at that in Romans 12, we do not lose heart further down in 2 Corinthians 4.7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken or abandoned, struck down, yes, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. And further down in verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, and uh, I am a living testament to that, decay. Seen it more and more as I get older. As our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. We're gonna look at that word renewed. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So let's dig into this. Romans 12, I'll read verse one one more time. Paul writes, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. He says, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. In Matthew 28, Jesus teaches and proclaims that he is Lord. He makes no qualms about it. He is master. And if you were here Wednesday night, you'd know when he says master, he means of all. Every single thing, both of the things seen in this universe and the things we don't know in this universe and the things we don't see in the spiritual. He's master of them all. Therefore, he exercises his right to command us to go and call others to follow him, to teach and train them in his ways so that they can be with him, Jesus, and experience the power of his fellowship. If you are a true disciple of Christ here this morning, if you have believed in and surrendered your life to Jesus as he's called you out to follow him, then you and I do not belong to ourselves. We have no rights to ourselves. All of who we are and everything we have is his to use and work, to his good pleasure. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Because Jesus has all the authority, 
He's calling us out. That word for church is ecclesia. It means called ones or called out ones. Because he has all the authority, he's calling us out to live a new life, a new way, with a new identity in him. Therefore, every disciple following Jesus is called to live a sacrificial lifestyle. Some might hear this and ask, why should I sacrifice my life just to do what Jesus says? There are gonna be those who ask that. There might be, that might be you this morning. Let's be honest and really ask ourselves, wait a second, sacrifice my life? Why? Give me one good reason why. God gives us many good reasons. And as our students found out at their event, Dare to Share Live, where they learned and got equipped to share their faith in Jesus practically, they learned this acronym and I'll share it with you. Why should we live our lives sacrificially to do what Jesus says? Because of the gospel. What is the gospel? G, God created us to be with him. Oh, our sins separate us from God. S, sins cannot be removed by good deeds or quote, good living. P, paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. E, everyone who trusts in Jesus alone has eternal life. And L, life with Jesus starts now and it lasts forever. Therefore, Paul says, I urge you. Urge in the Greek is the word parakaleo. Two words making one, para and kaleo. It means to call to someone's side or to summon. The idea here is that Paul is calling them out to join him in fellowship as brothers, sisters. Now the word kaleo, its root word, actually has a very strong meaning. It literally means to command. Paul brings a strong word. But his exhortation, his urging, isn't done out of pride. He's not commanding Christians, you need to do this. You have to do this. I do this so you should. He calls all of us, really the Lord is, calling all of us, to join with him in fellowship, shoulder to shoulder, not with our souls lifted up above each other, but level at the foot of the cross together. By the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Paul is appealing to, and he is calling out the disciples who make up the church in Rome because of the mercies of God. Therefore, Romans chapter 1 through 11, and really everything that's been written in Scripture all the way to Genesis chapter 1, therefore, because of all of this, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. This word mercy isn't just forgiveness, and that's typically what we think of, that's what I think of. But the word in the Greek goes beyond just the act of forgiveness. It describes a deeply felt compassion. Some might even say pity. Because of God's deeply felt 
compassion towards us. In Matthew 18, 23, Jesus describes this kind of deep compassion in a parable. He says, For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. 10,000 talents is, that's like Bill Gates going into debt with everything that he's worth and someone like me trying to pay it off. (laughs) What a joke. There's no way I could. That's the kind of debt we're talking about. Verse 25 of Matthew 18. But since the slave did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. You'll pay for the rest of your life with your life. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before the king saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. Which is a joke as we just saw. There's no way. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. If you read further down, we know that that slave is a wicked slave. He couldn't pay back his life's worth of debt. He comes across one of his fellow slaves who owes him just a day's wage. and He shakes him. He says, pay me. And the slave's like, I don't have it. Help me, give me a minute. Give me time, I'll pay you back. And what does this slave do? He says, go to jail and pay me. Such deep compassion was freely given to this slave And you would think that he would be quick to extend this to someone else. Jesus made this comparison between two people. He said, who do you think loves more, the one who's been forgiven little or the one who's been forgiven much? Let's let's get one thing very clear here. Every single one of us has been forgiven of a debt that we owe to the eternal God. We have broken and violated his will. And what has he done? He's lavished us with grace and mercy. Let's not be like the wicked slave who holds on to grudges, who sows bitterness and resentment and holds things exacting to others. If Jesus is not looking to exact a price, but looking to free us and forgive us, we should have that same attitude in ourselves. That's in Philippians chapter two. The king of Jesus' parable in Matthew 18 actually is an illustration of who God is. He feels deep compassion towards us. Therefore, because of this deep compassion, he didn't just feel this emotion in his guts and then move on to the next thing. He offered us forgiveness through his son, Jesus, to free us from our sin because we could never hope to pay it off on our own. That's the kind of God who made us. Hebrews 4.15 describes this high priest that we have. We don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near, let us reconcile with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus says, those who seek me will find me. 
How much time do we spend seeking him? Less said it. Salvation is not just a one-time event any more than being married is a one-time event. If you're here and you're like, oh yeah, no, I'm already married. Hang on a second. Maybe take an introspective look at your marriage. You get married, you start that on one day. And husbands, we know the rest of our lives, we're being married to our wives. We're growing, hopefully, closer to each other. We draw near to find mercy. We need God's mercy today. It's new every morning. Why? Because we need it every day. Don't try and live off of the manna from yesterday. That stuff goes sour and bitter. Seek him for the new stuff. There are a lot of us who've been walking with the Lord for a good length of time. We need to be careful not to make the mistake that I am in no need. Really? The longer we walk with Christ, the more we should recognize our great need, the more humble we should become. That is what real wisdom looks like. Gentleness, humility. Paul comes alongside fellow followers of Jesus in this letter. And in a spirit of camaraderie, he calls us together to respond to God's deep compassion for us. Therefore, because of who Jesus is as the master and Lord and savior of all, because of his deep compassion towards us, our response is to live a life of sacrifice for him. And by extension, we're called to sacrifice for each other. I didn't share this first service, but I just want to make something clear. Sacrifice, when you really give it all up, you're not doing it from, for some ulterior motive. You're not looking for accolades or recognition. You also don't put on a false pretense of being humble. Oh, no, please don't thank me. Sacrifice requires you giving something up for no benefit to yourself. Now, the cool thing is, if you sacrifice within God's economy, it doesn't matter how much you try and get nothing back, you're gonna get it. Jesus paid the greatest, highest price. But there was a goal in mind. Our bodies are the vehicle used to express our deepest thoughts and feelings that come from within our inner man, our spirit and our soul. God gave us a body to be used for his purposes. James 2:18, he says, "You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I'll show you my faith by my works." He's not saying we're saved by works. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but again, married couples, it's not enough to tell your loved one you love them. They got to see it. We're not saved, we're not made right with God because of something we do. Ephesians 2, eight through nine. By grace, through faith, you've been saved, not of yourselves so that no one can boast. We don't get to take pride in the fact that we're a Christian. Paul said, I boast in Christ. You can be proud of who Jesus is, but we need to walk in humility because we haven't earned it. But when we have this kind of true faith, it manifests itself in the way we live our lives. This is the kind of faith that's actually worth something. This was what Jesus was describing to the woman at the well in John 4, 23. 
He says, an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. It says in 1 John that God is spirit. I said this a while back. I, I think we need to go back to this, not because I said it, but because God said it in 1 John. If you say you love God who is invisible, but you have hatred, you're holding bitterness against a brother or sister who is not invisible, then you lie. I say I love God, but is it demonstrated in the way I serve him? As we're going to see, fellowship. If you're a de devoted disciple of Christ, what does your fellowship look like within Christ's body? Jesus loves the church. He died for the church. That's his bride. How many of us within his body attack, slander each other? We say we love God, but we got some words for someone in the fellowship. Be careful of that. That's all I'll say. Faith, sacrifice, and worship, they're revealed through how we use our bodies each and every day. This is practical. Let me ask this. What do you use your body for each day? Who do you use it for? Like I said before, I can say I love my wife, but if she never sees evidence of what I say is in my heart, it's just empty lip service. Now, the Pharisees, they were good about this. They loved playing their religious games, and they were really good about putting on a good show. They tithed so everyone could see. They gave their offerings and sacrifices. God was not impressed. He's like, your mom and dad are in need, but because of your piety, you give it to God, and you, you totally abandon your responsibility to your parents. Our parents, we say we love God. Do our children see that in the way we treat them, the way we raise them? Are they a part-time job? Or are they people with eternal intrinsic value that God has gifted us with to be stewards, to pour his love into them? Are we sacrificing ourselves to the glory of God by raising up a generation to follow him? Matthew 12, 34, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. I remember when I first started dating Cam and then we were engaged, the real feelings I experienced because of how much she matters to me. I'm talking about feelings. We're a Bible teaching church. Give me the truth. Give me the knowledge. And we need the truth. And we need true knowledge from his word. But remember, this is a relationship with Jesus. This isn't a religion. Do we feel Jesus this deeply? Does Jesus actually come out of my mouth because he's the... He's the one that consumes my thoughts because he's truly in my heart. Those of you who are married, when you were dating and engaged, what lengths and measures would you go to to sacrifice your comfort and what you had just to show your loved one how much they meant to you? He says, therefore, because Jesus is Lord and Master, because all of what Jesus has done, because of his deep compassion towards us. Live your life 
give up your body as a living and holy sacrifice because this is acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Paul writes over in Romans 14, 18, that he who, sh- he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. When you live your life genuinely in humility with utter devotion to Christ, people will see that. It is, it is attractive. It draws people. And what's acceptable to God often attracts people too. Why? We're made in his image. Even for those who don't believe in Jesus, we all have a sense, some moral fiber in our beings to some extent of what is right and wrong. A life of humility and peace is pleasing to God, and so it's often approved by people. Romans 14, 19. This past Wednesday night, I opened our teaching with excerpts from a film, Sheep Among Wolves, Volume 2. In it, one of the Christians from inside Iran said this, we know that if they get us, the first thing they will do to us as a woman is rape us. And then they will beat us and ultimately they will kill us. This is the decision we have made that we want to offer our bodies as sacrifices. She says later on, I know each day when I get up and I leave the door, there's a good chance I might not come back. And what's interesting is in the interview, she's not this proud, bold woman who's yelling it from the rooftop. This woman who says such strong words speaks with such a soft spoken, gentle spirit. She's not trying to prove her strength. This is what pleases the Lord. He's not looking for martyrs. He's not calling us to be martyrs, but he is calling us to have a sacrificial heart, which will then motivate and animate our bodies to be ready for service to glorify him, however that looks. If we, the church, have been made into a holy priesthood, a nation of priests, what did priests do constantly in the Old Testament? They gave offerings and sacrifices They performed the sacrifices God called them to, and then there was something else called a free will offering, which we'll look look at in a little bit, and there was no limit to it. 2 Chronicles 16, 9, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. How do we know that? Watch the direction their feet go. I can tell you guys stuff. I can stand up here as a pastor, a spiritual guy, and I can speak a good word, but people are really gonna know who I am by the way I live my life. And you know, it's interesting. Many of the things that our kids have learned about who Jesus is and what he's made them to be have been learned by how Cam and I handle our mistakes and our failures. We're not just teaching them the right way. We're teaching them when you mess up, This is how you do that. When I don't love my wife as Christ loves me, my kids watch how I come back around and I ask for forgiveness. Now, do I do that perfectly? Absolutely not. But this is a walk with Christ. 
This is a relationship over the long haul. Some might think it's strange as we talk about suffering, sharing the sufferings with Christ. Some might think it's strange. Some might even think, this is sick. Like Christians are sadomasochists looking to suffer. But we're not. We're not wanting pain. We just want to have fellowship with Jesus and with each other. The way husbands and wives do, the way siblings do, best friends. I watched a movie this last week, not surprising, called The Four Feathers. Raise your hand if you've ever seen the movie The Four Feathers. Yeah, I knew you had, Mike. Yep, it's a good one. In it, these uh, four guys, brothers in arms that have grown up like brothers through life, have gone through this, uh, this military academy, and it's set in the British Empire in the 1800s. The British Empire is massive and vast. Their empire covers a quarter of the world's population. Well, it, when you got a big house to run like that, at some point there's gonna be conflict, and sure enough, there is. And these young men are like, you know, point us in the direction of the battle. I can't wait to go fight, except for one of the four. He only did it because he was trying to please his dad. He didn't want to be a soldier. He didn't want to go off and fight. He didn't want to risk his life for something that he wasn't really feeling compelled towards. And so the day before they ship out, he goes and he asks, he demands for his resignation. And as a result, all of his friends, except for one guy, and his fiance, cut him off. And they all send him in a package a white feather which is a white feather representing cowardice. Cowardice. Now he ends up going, as we see through the story, now as a civilian, he, he willingly, freely goes over to North Africa in this uh, theater of conflict, and he ends up finding his buddies and saving their necks through the course of the story and he hands them their feather back. And he apologizes also. I shouldn't have abandoned you guys. I knew better. And for their part, they realize we shouldn't have cut you off like that. When we look at our lives as brothers and sisters in Christ like we're in a battlefront, in a war, we want to serve together. I don't want to be the guy back at, at the base at the fort, kicking it while my buddies and brothers and sisters bleed out? What does that call of me? Christians aren't looking for pain. We're not, we don't want to suffer because we like pain. We want to enjoy fellowship though. We want to go through life together. 1 Peter 4, 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. Doesn't that happen? We're serving Christ. And then all of a sudden things start to happen. We're like, what's going on? Jesus, I'm scared. What, what's happening? He's like, Jacob, remember that little thing you preached about last Sunday? Sacrificial fellowship? Here's your opportunity. You know how you were telling people about being devoted as a disciple? Now you can show me. Here's your opportunity. Don't be surprised by the fiery ordeal, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. We looked at this passage in Acts where Paul and Silas, 
being faithful in their devotion to Christ as a disciple are proclaiming the gospel and it gets them into trouble. It winds them up into the deepest, darkest dungeon. And at about midnight, you know what these two guys do? Their joints are aching. They've already been beaten. They're spread out in a very uncomfortable position. And you know what they do? In prayer and singing songs of worship together as men, they lift their voices. They rejoice in the suffering. Why? Because they get to experience it with Christ. I want I want an opportunity to suffer with the Lord. I want to know Jesus in his sufferings. I want a fellowship in the sufferings with his church. For if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. He makes a condition here. 1 Peter 4, 15. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. We embrace suffering not because we like pain, but because it's a mark of true friendship. Last Sunday we talked about it. True loyalty and devotion. We're not just diligent students of God's word. We're loyal to Christ to the end. And we do it with joy in our hearts. We know that at the end of this, there's a prize waiting. So we're not left hanging in humiliation on our cross that Jesus has called us to pick up. We share in suffering with Jesus, and so we share in unity together, all for the joy set before us. Hebrews 12:1. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, for who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. When you face these trials and tribulations because you're honoring Christ with your life, you can take heart. You're not alone. And you're not the only one who's gone through it. Matter of fact, Jesus did it first. Jesus has walked a mile in our shoes and further down the road. He's asking us to join him. Put it out on the line. I put all of me out on the line for you. Will you join me in that kind of fellowship? Jesus went to the cross because of joy. It was a sacrifice. And it was a sacrifice he didn't have to do but he chose to do because the father chose to do it. And so the joy was to glorify his father and the joy was to be able to save you, save me, so we could be with him forever, forever. Okay, so maybe you're still asking, what right does God have to ask me to sacrifice my life to him? He gave me my life, so it's mine, isn't it? Again, he is inviting you and asking you. He is calling me because he's done it. Pastor John Corson points out in his application commentary, talking about sacrificial living. The problem, however, with a living sacrifice, unlike a dead one, is that a living sacrifice has a tendency to climb off the altar regularly. I died yesterday. That was good enough, right, Jesus? 
He goes on and he says, I squirm and escape not infrequently. Thus, I need to continually return and say, oh Lord, on this new and beautiful day, I again give you my life. I give up, Lord. Just give up and give him. Take my life. That is the first step to experiencing God's will. Until we go that far, we'll never know Jesus. We won't know him unless we give up and surrender to him. Quit trying to figure things out in your head constantly. There comes a point where you make a choice to love him. My wife, early on in our marriage, because I'm a man, struggle to understand my wife, who is a woman, because we're very different in many ways. And I remember on more than one occasion her saying, Jake, quit trying to psychoanalyze me. Her heart was like, quit trying to figure everything out. Quit trying to give me the answer and just be with me. Let me share where I'm at with you. We can talk about the answer later, but right now, that's like going into a war zone and you're unscathed, you're untouched for some whatever reason you're not getting hit. And you're looking at them like, gentlemen, you need to go do this and do that and do this. And they look at you, haggard, blood all over, like, oh, that sounds nice. Get in the foxhole with me. You got all the answers, do it with me. Let's do it together. Lamentations 3.22, the Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. Yesterday, I sacrificed. There were things that I gave up because I love Jesus and I love the people he's put in my life. But I have a choice to do that today. And tomorrow, when I'm not up in front of people where people can go, good word, Jake, that was a great message. When I'm home and my kids aren't impressed with my ability to teach the Bible and my wife is like, that's nice, honey. Can you help me with this? Then I have a choice to sacrifice every single day, moment by moment. When I'm done here and I go home with my family, I have a choice. Am I gonna look for an escape to get off the altar or am I gonna go, I give up, Jesus, use me. If I gotta give up my, quote, rights for my wife and kids, then your will be done, not mine. The sacrificial lifestyle is every day. It is moment by moment and it's a position of surrender which requires humility. We don't get... The animal being sacrificed doesn't get to choose when they get sacrificed or how they get sacrificed or who sacrifices them. There are people in your life you're like, I will gladly sacrifice for you. But there are other people you're like, wait a minute, God, you want me to sacrifice myself for Jake? That bonehead? That weirdo? Or that guy last week did some things or said some things that really offended me. Let me just say, I'm sorry, I don't mean to. We don't get to choose how we're sacrificed for God. That's not how a sacrifice works. We make the choice to give up and then he uses us as he sees fit. Now, I said this first service and I, I think I need to share this again. You're like, this is awesome, Jake. I wanna give my body. I wanna sacrifice myself. But you're saying to me, 
but I'm worthless. What do I have to give? I don't have anything. If you knew the kind of life I've lived, if you knew the kind of things I've done, you wouldn't be asking me to sacrifice. You wouldn't want my sacrifice. Or maybe you're here and you, not because of decisions you've made, just because we live in an imperfect world, life has beaten you up and you feel worn out and ragged. You're like, I don't have anything. I want you to hear this. No one is invaluable to Jesus. There was a Pharisee and this poor woman. The Pharisee dropped the coin so everyone could hear his great offering to God. Meanwhile, this poor woman on the corner, she had nothing to her name except for this, I think, denarii. Everything she had was in her hand and she gave it. And Jesus said, that, that pleases my father. She gave up everything she had, but it wasn't much. He cares about what's in here. So all of you guys can look at what I do and be like, wow, Jake's good. I mean, I'm not saying that you do, but if you do, we tend to do that with people up front, you know, on the stage. But Jesus knows my heart. He knows what I'm actually giving up and what I'm holding back. A free will offering does not dictate how it is offered. You know, why don't you guys really quickly turn to John, I'm sorry, Matthew. Matthew chapter 11. Some of you might be falling asleep. My wife says I have that effect on people. Oh, he's got a nice voice. <laughs> okay, Matthew 11. You're like, how do I do this? How do I sacrifice? Practically, what you're saying is great, Jake, but how do I do this? Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. There it is. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't need to get into the details because it's not about me, it's about Jesus. But I was sharing with Les this morning, there are some things that uh, I had to do last minute that required almost every vestige of me. And it required me being separate from my wife, which was not fun. I'm like, I want this day with my wife. Jesus is like, look, I will take care of Cam. I'm asking you to give this up over here to serve me for others. The fascinating thing is, I can feel my body, it's really tired right now. But today, unlike any other time I've ever been able to stand in for Rick, I feel this strength, this energy that's easy and peaceful. I'm not worn out like I have been in the past. Jesus called me and I went, okay, here am I, send me. And he went, okay, I can use that. And he has been, guys, he has been teaching me what I'm sharing with you, what it looks like to live a life of sacrifice. And here's the beautiful part. He says in verse 29, my yoke upon you, take it upon you, learn from me. Why? Because I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. Jesus is not a drill instructor drilling you. He's not a drill sergeant who drags you by your BDUs, exacting a price. 
He's got his cross and he sees you with his and he says, now watch how I do this. Pour through the gospels. Watch how he does it. It's amazing. He doesn't just teach us. He trains us. He shows us. Which leads me to Romans 12 too. You're like, finally, oh my goodness, how long is this gonna take? Not too long. Okay, maybe. Romans 12 too. Paul writes, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay. The word conformed means to match another's pattern. He's saying don't match your life to the pattern of this world. We live in a culture that's teaching us to be our own person. That's the irony. The pattern of this world is make your own pattern. And our desire to be nonconformist and original, we're all doing the same thing. Look at me, look how special I am. Maybe I'm just an old fogey when I watch football, but man, I would love to watch some guys run a touchdown in and then just toss the ball to the ref and go back to the huddle. Every time there's a sack or a tackle, there's gotta be big, some melodramatic performance. Look what I did. I'm like, nice, I didn't watch, I didn't come to watch you be an actor because you're not good at it. I came to watch you play football. Play football. Do that. Quit trying to draw attention to yourself. The world's pattern is me, 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 mine, mine, mine. America is my rights. I'm entitled. This is what I should get. So from celebrities to athletes to politicians to regular people, everyone's trying to come up with their own identity. Everyone needs to show off their own style because being different makes you important. That's a lie. Being different doesn't make us important. Jesus makes us important. If everyone's trying to be different, then guess what? Everybody's the same. Ecclesiastes 1, 9, teens and young people, hear this one. That which has been is that which will be, and that, that which has been done is that which will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, see this, it is new. Already it has existed for ages which were before us. I shared this this last week. Every preacher or teacher should seek to be unoriginal when they teach. Why? It should be coming out of God's word. And if I can defer to uh, Rick's teaching uh, through Genesis, when we were in Genesis chapter one, verse one, we saw that God created the heavens and the earth. And the word for created is bara. Little pun, little play on words. God bara, he didn't borrow. He made things from nothing. Nothing. Jesus is the only original personality. He's the only one with original thoughts and plans. This new and progressive movement to care about the earth, to cut down on emissions, it's always been here. What we call environmentalism today is just the same old pagan earth worship. Now, I know that when I just said that, I offended someone. It's not my intent to offend. But as we'll see from God's word, he makes it clear. What we live on, what we breathe in is gonna be used up. It's old. We've been doing this earth worship since we left the garden. Our paper straws, our strawless cups, 
won't save a creation that's worn out. Isaiah 51, 6. This is not my word, by the way. This is God's. I grew up in a house where we had lots and tons of animals. It's a miracle that I didn't turn into an environmentalist because I love animals and I love nature. But God says in Isaiah 51, 6, lift up your eyes to the sky, then look to the earth beneath, for the sky will vanish like smoke and the earth will wear out like a garment and its inhabitants will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever and my righteousness will not wane. Don't conform to this old, worn out world. Be transformed by the matchless, infinitely creative, one and only original Messiah. Don't be conformed to death. Be transformed into life. The word for transformed here, you Bible students probably know this, is where we get the word metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. Hmm, what comes to mind? Think of a clunky caterpillar that transforms into a beautiful butterfly or a gross grub into a marvelous moth. Now, you're like, mm, I'm not sure if I agree with you on that. Go Google, go Google some moths. Some of these giant moths are amazing. How did they start? Mm, gnarly looking grub. So here's a question. Do we wanna be clunky caterpillars or gross grubs or beautiful butterflies and marvelous moths? Caterpillars are ravenous consumers. The pattern of this world tells you to get as much as you can. But butterflies enjoy life's sweetness. Jesus says, let me transform you, lift you above the pattern of this dying and decaying world, and I'm gonna show you and give you the sweetness of life like you couldn't experience. The world's notion of love and hope and peace doesn't even compare. Grubs gobble up garbage, but moths are drawn to light. Are we burying our heads into the cares of this world, eating up as much as we can? Or are we being drawn to the light of Jesus? The word renewing here in verse two, remains, it means renovation. When you do a renovation project on your home, typically, or on your land, you don't just paint the walls. You tear those walls down. You are doing a total overhaul of the house or the building or the piece of land. This totally changes the structure and therefore its function and appearance change. Compare, now relate that to what he's teaching us in Romans 12 too. He doesn't wanna try and revive your dead heart. He wants to take that nasty heart out and put a completely new one in. Nicodemus coming to Jesus in the middle of the night is asking questions and Jesus says, you've gotta be born again. I've shared this before. For all of our friends and family and people we know at work who were like, well, I was born this way. Okay, I am not here to argue with you. Jesus is calling you out to be born again, to a new life. We don't need to be the victims of our sin. He's already done that. He was the victim of our sin, so we could walk in a new life. But that requires us to sacrifice. This is what a life of devotion to Christ looks like. Let me read something from uh, pastor and theologian Timothy Keller. He says here, Discipleship is not just a matter of bending your will to Jesus' will. It's melting your heart into a whole new shape. A disciple is not someone who simply sets a new priority. A disciple finds a new identity. 
We live in a, a world that is obsessed with finding and fulfilling our deepest desires and the main thing you're supposed to do is make you happy and get what you can and acquire your stuff. But Luke 9.25, Jesus asks, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world if he forfeits his soul? We live in a materialistic culture. Don't conform to this world. Be transformed into the light of Jesus' marvelous life. Now let's look at verse three, and we're gonna blow through this pretty quick. If you wanna know more about what I'm about to read on, go to Rick's teaching online. He says, for, though, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Let me just point this out. He's talking about members, parts of a body. Exercise them accordingly. Parts of the body functioning together as the body. So he says, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without hypocrisy. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. So, this lifestyle of sacrifice, living to please God by letting him totally transform you, isn't done in a vacuum. This transformation happens in fellowship. Marriage was not designed to make us happy, although we have our happy moments, for sure. Marriage makes us holy, and you know what? That's true of any relationship in Christ. So if you're single here, divorced, widowed, you're like, oh, all he talks about marriage. What about the rest of us? It's true of any relationship. When you really live life together with someone in Christ, if you're in a place to receive it and they're a good friend, a good friend is gonna hold you accountable when they see you do something not right. That's transforming. It's not fun all the time, but it makes you holy. And then you experience God's goodness as he's glorified greater through you. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Being transformed and renewed is not an isolated event. It is a family affair. And if you're trying to do this walk with God by yourself, you're not going to get very far because that's not the way he designed us. Romans 12.10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Be devoted brings me right back to where we left off on Sunday last week. Are you a loyal disciple? or a diligent student. This devotion of brotherly love sounds sweet and all, but then the next part says, give preference to one another in honor. That literally means you go first by example. You honor the other members of Christ's family before yourself. And it doesn't stop there. 
The attitude is one of eagerness. It's not apprehension. You don't wait for someone else to step up to the plate. You do it first. You don't hesitate. And you don't honor others and look out for others' interests so long as you know they're gonna do the same. Otherwise, that's not sacrifice. There are strings attached. The word for fervent here is zeo, and it literally means to boil with heat, to be hot. So I guess when you get right down to it, the question is, are you living lukewarm these days? Or do you burn with passion for Jesus? Are you just kind of getting by? Or are you living with passionate purpose? Do you do the good Christian things? Or are you going beyond the requirement of a Christian and freely giving yourself up to be sacrificed however he wants to use you? You know, this apathy that we see is actually a diagnosis that Jesus gives as a sign of nearing the tribulation. Matthew 24, 12, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. So again, I ask, is our passion for Jesus, is our devotion, our disciple devotion to the fellowship in his church waning? You're like, (laughs) Jesus, I already gave them this. He's like, awesome. Will you give them this now? If there's any part in your heart that tends to reserve and hold back out of some self-preservation, you haven't gone far enough. I haven't gone far enough. Romans 12, 2. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. In this documentary, Sheep Among Wolves, which talks about the growth of the church inside Iran, an Iranian church leader said this about prayer. Everything is foundational on prayer. We start with prayer. We find what they call people of peace through prayer. These people of peace are folks that are either interested or sympathetic to the gospel or who are gonna show them, direct them to other people who are ready to receive the gospel. They find these people through prayer. Think about it. How in the world are you gonna live as a Christian sold out for Christ in a country that is looking bloodthirsty to wipe out a Christian? You're not gonna get very far unless you pray. Lord, show us where to go. Bing, and he shows us. All we have to do is ask. They say we even find locations through prayer. Where to do ministry? I don't know, but his spirit does. I promise you this, one of the reasons the disciples in Christ's church aren't just surviving, but they are thriving in places like China and Iran is because they're devoted to prayer. Wednesday nights, if you show up here for the teaching and the worship, come at 5.30. Join us for prayer in the fireside. Sunday mornings, if you can, show up here at 7.30 and join Les and a few others who are praying before the worship and teaching. When Peter and John were interrogated, wrongfully detained, and then beaten and threatened by the law not to talk about Jesus, you know what the church's response was? Acts 4.31, when they had prayed, The place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. If you want boldness and confidence to be who God has made you to be, then devote yourself to prayer and do it together in fellowship. Look at verse 13 and then we're done. Contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. I think it's John Corson who who makes a good point. Hospitality is not the same thing as entertaining. 
Though some, there might be some of you who are like, I would love to host a home group fellowship, but I don't have a nice house. Or I don't have a ton of space. Jesus is not calling us to entertain each other. He's calling us to be hospitable to one another. You open up and freely give what you have. If someone's gonna judge you for that, then that's between them and the Lord. But he's asking us to do our part. You know what the Greek word here for contributing in verse 13 is? It's koinonio, which is what we usually translate as fellowship. It's the same word associated with fellowship. Strong's exhaustive concordance says that this contributing, this koinonio, is to come into communion or fellowship with, to become a sharer, made a partner. Again, sacrificial calling to give our bodies as living sacrifices is done within the context of fellowship together, not isolated. The church in Acts wasn't filled with the Spirit and emboldened to speak God's word, isolated, individualistic, or independent. They experience this together as one, dependent on the Lord and on each other. Acts 4.32, the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were in common property to them. And abundant grace was upon them all, for there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. If you're rich or wealthy or have a really awesome house and a lot of cool stuff, please hear me. I am not asking you, and God is not saying, you gotta give it all away because that's what you gotta do to be a good Christian. When I read this, I don't think about other people in the fellowship. When I read this, he's telling me not to go require from others, you owe me this. That's communism. I shared this already. I'll share it again. Jesus looks to me and says, Jacob, everything I've given you and all that you have and all that you are, I want you to give it away. Communism says what's yours is mine. Communism says what's mine is yours. That's sacrifice. And we do it freely with joy in our hearts. Psalms 110, back this summer, Rick did a teaching on this passage. And in verse three, it reads, your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. The words volunteer freely is translated netabot. It means free will offering. Is, this is the picture that Paul draws upon when he, he writes in 2 Timothy 4, 6. I am already being poured out as a drink offering. I'm gonna close here. But this drink offering, when it was poured out, it wasn't poured out on the dirt. It was poured out on a searing hot altar. And the moment it poured on it, pss, vaporized. And the aroma of this drink offering filled the air. That's our life. Our life is but a vapor. It begins, and then in the blink of an eye, it ends. Some of you are further down that road, and you know that better than I do. You're like, where's the time gone? James 4, 14, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes away. 2 Corinthians 2, 14, but thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and manifest through us 
the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. You know what's interesting? Is potpourri, in order to smell it, you gotta crush it. Are we gonna give up our lives to be used and wrung out to the last drop for the pleasure of Christ and for the sake of each other? And so, worship team, if you could come up and anyone who's going to the tables, if you could come forward. I wanna leave us with this and then I'll pray. I urge us to freely give our bodies and possessions as free will offerings to Jesus as his devoted disciples for the sake of his fellowship with his people, the church. There's a lot of slander and smack talking going on about the church and that's happening within the church. We need to remember this. Jesus died for the church. Jesus calls the church his bride. It's one thing for people to slander me or come against me, but when they come after my wife, that's a very different matter. And I don't say it all high and mighty like, you better watch out. I'm not here to puff up my ego. That's my wife. People who, who have been good to me and then they totally disregard or blow my wife off, I'm like, you don't really know me that well, do you? That's my wife. She and I are one. If we say we love Jesus, will we freely sacrifice to him by giving ourselves to each other? That's the call I believe he's laying out on us this morning. And if you do it, you will experience the power of Christ. Even as you sacrifice, it doesn't feel like it because it's done with joy, motivated by love. It's a powerful thing. But for all the talking and teaching we could do about it, we will never know it until we choose to personally give ourselves up. Let's pray. Jesus, you have spoken your word to us and I am so thankful that you're the one that teaches us because in all honesty, it would be easy for me to get on my high horse and start telling people what to do and how to do it. But you don't do that. You didn't come high and lofty on a horse. You came seated humbly on the foal of a colt. And as they praised you and yelled Hosanna, you knew the next day that they were going to turn right around and yell, crucify him. And you did it with a smile on your face because you loved the Father and you loved us. Jesus, teach us how to learn from you, how to be free will offerings. Teach us, train us to be devoted like you have shown us. Give us the grace to do this. Holy Spirit, wash us, clean us, wash us in your word and glorify yourself through us however you see fit through the bridge and through the, the Christians on these islands so that the world will know that there is a God in heaven that loves them and he is, you are inviting them to be a part of your fellowship. Jesus, would you uh, speak to our hearts? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.